0: We're in a series called uh, Who We Are. Uh, Today is the conclusion of that series. Uh, We are going to take a look at one of the values that we have here at Lifehouse. And and I want to, before I kind of jump into that, kind of give you some instructions on something that's changed. Apparently, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been going a little long in my message Uh, According to our staff and specifically my wife. And so we are, I wanna put the number up on the screen. It's 210 646 4457. We are still gonna do questions. We're finding value in this. I hope that you find value in this. Uh, But so if you have questions throughout the message, you can text your questions to that number 210 646 4457. The difference, however, is instead, they've taken my phone away. Uh, And so I used to have my phone here and I was trying to read questions and filter things. But when you have an open line like this, uh, it leaves a lot of room for people to uh, text in. uh, I was going to say stupid questions, but uh, funny things, you know, like what I'm wearing today and things like that. And I'm trying to filter through those. Uh, And so uh, I've asked Pastor Jay this morning. He has all the power. He has my phone. I hope he gives it back to me at the end of the message, but um, he's going to filter those questions. He's going to come up at the end of the message. He's going to ask me a couple of the best questions that we have, and then any questions that don't get answered, I'll either respond through that text, uh, or we'll do it publicly on social media. All right, so we're going to jump in. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the value of restoration um, this is a value that has been a part of the church. This is a value that's near and dear to my heart. It's, it's part of who, who I am, how God's wired me. Uh, when I went through a thing called church uh, a thing called unique not church unique it's kind of the same but uh, it's called unique it's a personal life calling. it's identifying how God's wired you and made you and one of the things that I discovered in that process is that restoration's uh, a big part of who I am uh, seeing people and organizations and institutions restored uh, for the kingdom of God and uh, there's other uh, Values that we have, of course, there's the value of generosity. Uh, Interestingly, generosity is a value that has uh, preceded Kelly and I coming here. When uh, Kelly and I arrived in 2007, uh, prior to that, when the church was called the Church on the Way San Antonio and then the church at Stone Oak, and then it became Lifehouse uh, when we got here. Uh throughout that, the life of the church, there's been this thread of generosity. And so we inherited that, that value, uh, but we also bleed that value just personally uh, in our life. Uh, but the other value that we really bleed, is, or that I bleed, is this value of restoration. And when you think of restoration, you might think, uh, like my wife does, of chalk paint, Uh, How many of you are familiar with chalk paint? Anybody anybody, uh, use chalk paint? Okay, so chalk paint, if you don't know, gentlemen, uh, is, (laughs) just kidding, chalk paint is uh, this apparently something that uh, adheres to everything, it fills blemishes, and uh, and it's easy to use, it's easy to apply, and so you'll take, like, you'll go to a garage sale or you go to a yard sale or in the marketplace and you'll find some piece of furniture that just looks terrible, you'll get it, and then you'll, you'll you use chalk paint and you can even put a wax on it, and, you, and now it looks like something that you would want in your living room. And, and so that, in some people's mind, is restoration, that you take something uh, that looks bad and... Throw a little paint on it and now it's restored. I would argue that the restoration that God does in our life is more like uh, a TV show that used to exist. They they don't have it anymore, but it was a TV show when, uh, gosh, 15, 20 years ago called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Uh, anybody remember that show? Uh, yeah, it, the ratings tanked when they moved it to Friday, but Sunday nights was an amazing time when it was airing on Sundays. And what they would do is they'd go in and they would, uh, would kind of take somebody's house who they've gone through these terrible circumstances or situation and they're in need and they would take this house and they would just demo it. They would just knock it down. They would leave the foundation because, you know, this was just a makeover, uh, but they, so they would leave the foundation of, of where that house existed, but they would build something back uh, that was brand new. Uh, maybe a more current example of this, uh, not quite as extreme, would be the show Fixer-Upper that I don't think is on anymore either. Uh, Let's come up with another fixer-upper type show because clearly there's a need for this. Um, but in fixer-upper, same thing—they come into a house, somebody's buying a house, and they completely demo it, they completely renovate it, and it looks nothing like it did when it first started out. That's what God does in our life. He loves who we are, and and there's there's semb- semblance of of who He's created to be from the past but but when we become new in Christ Jesus it is something completely new it is something completely different and so i want us to take a look at a couple of scriptures today's message is very scripture heavy and the reason why is because what we're talking about here is it is our transformational rest, restorative work that god does in our life through salvation and through growth in him and sometimes it, we just need to allow the scriptures to reflect to us where we are at in the process mark chapter 10 verse 27 jesus looked at them and said with a man with man this is impossible but not with god with god all things are possible. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. How many of you enjoy going to a museum? Just a good museum. You guys do? Okay. Okay. Some of you that do, how many of you don't like museums at all, like never want to step foot in there? Okay, there's like one person that's honest about it. Uh, I, I'm kind of torn, right? Because museums house these amazing works of art, they, uh, they have these, you know, amazing artifacts in them, and, and so there's part of me that wants to experience those things, but they're boring, and so, for me i'm the type of person that uh, we've been able to go to New York, and so we've been to the uh, to the Met in new york we've been to the history of natural something in New York, and you can tell museums are super important to me um, it was I could barely pull out that one um, and but here's what I do when I go into a museum. if I know that there's amazing, like one-of-a-kind work of art in there, I go in, I see them, and I leave. I don't stand around pondering the art, looking at it, wondering what it is. I just, I'm like, dun, 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 let's go eat. Let's do it. And, And some people spend all day in there. They put benches for people to sit and look at the art, and I'm like, it doesn't, Talk at all. Now there are some who love art. We have an artist in our church, actually Terry McReynolds, who who paints and sells her paintings. They're amazing, and and yet I don't know a lot about it. But I do know this: if you were to look at like a Rembrandt painting, you know that it's a Rembrandt based upon the look of it. It's uh, got, it's got it's darker in nature and. Uh, in, in the type of painting that it is, it's often about stories and people. And, uh, and then you've got things like uh, Van Gogh uh, that's very weird and, and stuff. And then you've got Monet, which is kind of wispy and, and all of that. that. like I, I don't know a lot, and I'm probably going to get an emails, uh, a lot of emails schooling me on this. But what I do know is that really good art, you know whose it is when you see it. And I wonder, in our lives, I believe, and I heard this this last week, I heard this saying that when God picks up the brush to paint who He's called us to be, it is uniquely God. We know who his, who that person belongs to. We know that, that when God paints his picture of who we are, that when people see us, it is uniquely, unmistakably, only God could do that. I'll give you an example of that. If, you, uh, if you've had friends uh, in your life and you've, you've come to a place of surrendering your life to Christ and, uh, and now you're beginning to grow in your faith and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus... Oftentimes what will happen is the people around you in your community will say, there's something different about you. And that something different is uniquely God. He doesn't improve you, he changes you. Religion creates conformity. God transforms, he's transformative in who we are. And if we are willing if we're willing and we are surrendering ourselves to Him, we are allowing God to do a work inside of us. And so, this morning, I want to just give you three truths about who God is, about what He's done in our life, what He's continuing to do in our life, and then I want to give uh, I want to give you three practical applications in what we need to do to experience all that God's called us to. The first truth is this. The gospel means change. It means change. Religion means conformity. There are many religions in our world today that on the outside you know what team they belong to how they dress, what they wear, whether they cut their hair or whether they wear makeup, how they pray. There's there's things that we can tell on the external to know what team they belong to. That's, That's really religion. In Christianity, especially in modern American Christianity, Really, the only way to, do, to know whether somebody's a Christian is what's going on inside of their life. It's not this external thing, that that there's something that's taking place that's transformative on the inside that's changing. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says it like this: Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You, you, if you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture and this as an example. You, the example is like a cocoon, right? That, that in this case is saying anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. It's like, it's like the caterpillar and the butterfly, there's semblance of the saint, of that caterpillar that exists in the butterfly, but that butterfly is a new creation. And something took place in that cocoon, something took place in that environment that something changed, and it completely changed. I like to look at uh, the church, the gathering, the community that is the, what we know as the church, really as the cocoon. What I mean by that is there's nothing inherently amazing about the cocoon. The cocoon isn't the big deal, right? The cocoon isn't necessarily even what's changing the butterfly. The reality is is that for us, it's not necessarily whether the the cocoon, uh, well, for us, the cocoon is the church. It is the easel. For him to do the work, it's an environment for him to do the work. Uh, you could say it like this, that, uh, that although there's a trans- transformative work that takes place here, it's not the church that does the transformation, it is Christ moving and working and the Holy Spirit in your life that's doing the transformation there's a guy named uh, Nicodemus in Scripture. Uh, he was a religious leader. Jesus could tell he was a religious leader by his conformity. Everything that he was, from what he was wearing, how he acted, the, the crowd that he ran, in, ran with, he, he was conformed into his religion. And, and he knew he was supposed to change, but he was afraid to change. He knew that there was something more for his life, but he was scared. He was afraid of what people might think. His friends, his colleagues might think of him because he was already conformed to this religion, and now all of a sudden there was something different. And, And so what he did is he came to Jesus in the dark of night. And there's times where I wonder for us as we go into our life circle that Uh, that there are moments where we, we get afraid. We're afraid of what people in our life circle might think about us, that if we exude who we are and what we know of God's transformative work in our life, that if we operate in the gift and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what will people think? And Nicodemus is a guy who comes to Jesus knowing that there's more in his life. He's a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And he says to him, Rabbi, he only knew him at this point as a great teacher. He said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. He's acknowledging Jesus as a great teacher. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are changed, unless you are transformed, unless you are restored, then you didn't receive the right gospel, he says to him. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go into his mother's womb and be born again? That doesn't make sense to me. This this is crazy talk. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. There are two kinds of messages that kind of exist today in American Christianity. And the first message is that uh, he loves you just the way you are. That there's nothing you need to do to change. He just loves you the way that you are. And then there's the second kind of message that exists out there, that God wants to change this version of you. That there are people who are just waiting to point a finger into your chest and to tell you all of the ways in which God wants to change you. And what's happened is people have in some ways chosen sides. They they're like, "Well, this sounds really good that I really love that God loves me for who I am. I can appreciate that." And this over here doesn't sound very good. I don't like to be judged. Do anybody like to be judged, chair? No. I know you're not responding, but no, you don't. You don't like I'll just answer for you. You don't like to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged. We try to avoid Judgy people, uh, we try ourselves, I hope we try ourselves not to be judgy people. So this side over here doesn't sound all that great. And so oftentimes there's this kind of this message that's being presented that's honestly, I don't, I, I don't like the, the, the term tickling people's ears, but it's, it's drawing people in because we like the message that says, God loves me just the way that I am. The reality is, is that there is, that it, the message, the gospel message is both. It is both of those things. Because number two, God loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He loves us just the way that we are, grace. But He loves us so much that He doesn't want to leave us that way, truth. You could say it like this, grace attracts, truth unravels. Grace invites us to be free. Truth sets us free. Number three, if I'm not changing, I might not really know God. That's a hard, that's a hard truth right there. That if there's if there's nothing changing in our life, there's a, a really big theological word that we learn in Bible college called sanctification. And I tell people, sanctification is a process. It's a process of growth. It means that we are being sanctified, that from the point of salvation, there is a growth process, a change process that's taking place where we are constantly growing in our relationship with Him and in our understanding of what it means to live a Christ like life. We never arrive on this side of eternity, we are constantly growing and changing. But there are people who go to church and attend church services for years and years and years and never change. That's not Christianity. That's not that's not salvation. That's religion. That's just making the appearance that I'm a part of something, but if there is to be a relationship with God, to know God is to change. Now I use the word uh, "might not." The, the two words "might not" because I don't honestly know, and I don't want to be judgmental. I don't, but it's clear in First John chapter one, and I want to read it to you. And I, this isn't me judging you, preaching at you, this is just the Word of God. And maybe it's just like holding up a mirror and saying, okay, where am I at in this? In verse 6, it says, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in the darkness, then we lie, and we do not live out the truth But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, right? If we say, I got this figured out. I got nothing going on. There's nothing wrong with me. If we claim to be without sin, then what we're doing is we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, And he will forgive us our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim, though, that we have not sinned, if we claim that we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Those are some heavy words. Those are words that you hear from this message over here of the truth. And we're like, well, that sounds great, but I like me some of this, where God just loves me the way that I am. But the reality is, is it's both. He goes on in chapter 2, he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands. Listen to the language here. He is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, again, this is, look at what he says here. He's not, he's not looking for conformity. It's not looking for, like when he says, for anyone who obeys him, he's not saying, listen, we just need everybody to get in line, tick the boxes, and everybody do the same thing. No, what he's looking for is he's, anyone who obeys his word and has a love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him, that whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In chapter 5, John, just the punches keep coming. It says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. But I love this next line. It says, and his commands are not burdensome. His commands for us are not some sort of legalistic approach to how we should live his life. His commands are intended to help us in this life. That when we walk in the obedience and walk in the ways of Christ, that now all of a sudden this life that we are a part of isn't easy, but isn't burdensome most religions, as I said, you can tell from the outside. You can tell from the outside of of what team they're a part of. But I would say that as Christ followers, our heart isn't that that he's making us do it, but instead he's doing something in us that makes us want to do it. So let me give you three ways and then we'll We'll go to lunch. Three ways to let God transform you. The first is that we have to get past who we were and focus on who God wants us to become. This is number one because if you can't get past this one, it's going to be a really, really tough go. This may be one of the hardest things for any of us, just as human beings, to do because we dwell so much on our past it's difficult for us as human beings to do because we are human. And humans treat other humans with the intent that says, you have to pay for what you did. We are justice type people. We are people who operate uh, out of revenge. We are people who uh, operate out of judgment. And so there's something in us that looks to our past and looks at what we've done and how and, and, and the, the sin that's been a part of our life and we look to the past and we say, there's no way that God could restore my life. There's no way that God could transform what I've done. But the reality is, is this, there is a mindset that comes with this. It's why God chooses messed up people in his life, or in, in Scripture. Right? The, the people that are the heroes of the Bible are not perfect people. They're not even people who had great childhoods and grew up in the church and went to Bible college and now is a pastor. Like, hey, No, the people that God chooses to be heroes are messed up people. If you look at the life of Moses, Moses killed a guy, actually. He was pretty messed up in his obedience and faithfulness and some of those things. And yet he ends up being a deliverer of God's people. You look at the life of David. David, things started out pretty great. Ends up on a balcony looking at another man's wife bathing and ends up committing adultery with her, and then to cover up his sin decides that he's going to kill her husband out on the battlefield to make it look like an accident. I mean, there was some thought that went into this. And yet he's a man after God's own heart. That's what Scripture talks about. Then you've got a guy like uh, Paul, who is the former killer named Saul. Saul. The guy who used to execute Christians, like he, he publicly would bring them out and execute other believers. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your past looks like. I'm guessing that no one here uh, has killed anyone, like, like, like murder, kill. I'm not talking military, because um, I, I, I don't know. But my guess is that your past may be a little bit different than these three. And these three are just a beginning example of multiple, multiple people that we see throughout Scripture whose past was one way, and now God has intersected their life, and it's something new. Romans 1 says, this is Paul speaking, he says, A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle And set apart for the gospel of God. He's describing himself to the church in Rome. And most of us as we're reading through scripture we just kind of skip past it because it's just a description of who Paul is. But I love the picture here because this is Paul who used to kill Christians describing himself not by his past but by what God's called him to. A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. There might be some here this morning, some of you are watching online, that it's time for you to stop identifying with the things of your past and start looking towards what God has called you to. Colossians 3, 7-8 says you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. Maybe one of the greatest connecting words in Scripture, but now. You used to be this way, but now. But now you must also rid yourself of thinking about those things. Rid yourself of that stuff, the but now. Action step number two. We have to give God permission to change everything. 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 He could in his ability paint all over you but he doesn't work that way. He could force his way into your life and paint a picture that he wants to see, but at the end of the day he's waiting. He's not Scripture talks that he's knocking at the door. He's waiting for us to respond and invite him and give him permission to change everything about our life. He longs for that invitation us to just say, there's no part of my life that isn't available to you, God. It's one of the, maybe one of the more scariest prayers that we could ever pray. Because it means then he has access to everything. Galatians 5, this is written to the local church. This isn't written to the world, right? This isn't written to like all oh, your Friends and community and the people out there, the people you disagree with. No, this is written to the church. And it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, church. I warn you, church. As I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it goes on, though. It goes on and says, but the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, It's, it's not perfection. Like We don't live and operate out of perfection, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's these things that pop up because of what God is doing in his transformative work in our life. And when people encounter us in this world, they experience this fruit that exudes from us. Things like love. Things like joy. When we go to our workplace, we go to school, we go to our community, our neighborhoods, people should see joy coming from us. Not because of our circumstances, because everything's great and everything's happy, but because of what he's doing in our life, we exude joy, peace, patience. Patience is, patience is the fruit in my life that... Um, If you've ever seen a tree try to produce fruit and it's just like this puny little thing that's not even edible, that's patience in my life. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me more patience in my life. I want to produce the kind of patience that when people have an encounter with me, they're like, there's something different in your life. Kindness. Goodness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law about this. Like those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, with its desires, and now there's something of a transformative work that's taking place that maybe in the past, the fruit that was produced was anger and hatred and uh, lack of self-control, and you just were, uh, the fruit was, was death, But now there's a a work that's taking place in our life that now it's this fruit of the Spirit, and joy is popping up, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and self control. When people encounter us, they see someone who lived like Jesus lived. Psalm 37 says, Delight. That word delight there means to adorn yourself like a bride. Right. Think about modern day brides. They spend so much time, so much money, uh, so much energy just preparing for their wedding day, making sure their dress is right, making sure their hair is right, their makeup's right. Spend a ridiculous amount of money on all of those things, all to prepare for their wedding day, to adorn themselves. It says, delight yourself, adorn yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I want to go back for a second because there was a question in first service that I thought was really, really important. And the question was, in regards to the fruit of the Spirit, do some people have some fruit of the Spirit and other people have other fruits of the Spirit? And the answer to that question is all of the fruit of the Spirit should be in us. That the more we surrender our hearts to the Lord, to His Holy Spirit, there's, all of the fruit should exude from us. And this person said, well, you know, in in my situation, my wife is, uh, she's got a lot more patience and kindness. And I've got maybe the self-control and some of these things. No, 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 no. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Nobody gets a pass on gentleness. Nobody gets a pass on self-control. You say, well, it's just not my fruit. I, I just... You know, you're a complete jerk to someone, and you're like, well, I just don't have the, 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 the fruit of kindness. Sorry, I didn't get that fruit. I'm a different tree. Like, like, we don't get to say those things. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, the fruit should exude from us. You can say, well, what if it's not? You just said, you just admitted, patience is, I didn't say that I didn't have the fruit of patience. I just said it's inedible right now. Like, it's it's just not great. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit, help me. Give me the power, give me the strength to produce that fruit in my life. We don't get a pass. Now, don't mix this up with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives as he sees fit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, some people have different gifts of the Holy Spirit. as different than the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We all should be exuding the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I think another question that came in first service was, well, what if, uh, how much of, of the fruit of the Spirit is our responsibility in, in making sure that takes place versus uh, just the Holy Spirit working in our life? And And I would say th- the more we avail ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the more fruit we will see. But I will say that there are circumstances and situations, if you were to take a tree and you were to cut off a limb and then it scars up, what happens is that that limb does not produce fruit. It can't. And I would just say that there are some people in their life in their past where there's been been a scar, a wound, a pain in their life that is suppressing the fruit that wants to come out of that tree. And sometimes we need community, we need people in our life to help us address what's going on and why we don't see that fruit. And it's important for us to as just consider us arborists, the Holy Spirit is the great arborist, to come along and through circumstances bring healing and wholeness to some of those hurts and habits and hang-ups that suppress the fruit that God wants to see in our life. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you. God wants to work in you, giving you the desire. And, And here's the thing is He gives you the power to do what pleases Him. This isn't, hey, we just want you to you know, go through this life. Once you've experienced the transformational work of salvation in your life, good luck. No, He's going through this Holy Spirit. Give us power. Number three, the third application is this. Allow the change to begin today. These church services that we attend, whether we're online or in person, are supposed to be catalytic moments. Church services can't change you. A church service can make you want to change. We can come, we can gather together, we can be in, other communi- in community with other believers, we can hear an equipping message, but all of that doesn't necessarily change you. What, what it does do is create an environment where you want to change, and that change can only come from him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, we get to, we get to pull off the veil. Beholding as in a mirror, this, uh, this scripture that we looked at, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. You are made in the image of God. You don't have to be angry. When people describe you, do they describe the fruit of the Holy Spirit? I'm like, no, that person's angry. That person's rough. They have no self-control. How do people describe you? If it's not through love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, we probably ought to hold up the mirror of Scripture and say, God, I need more of you. In my life it goes on and says just as by the spirit of the lord this is a moment where it may be difficult for us to really evaluate where we're at but i can tell you that if you've stopped changing there's probably more work to be done Nobody likes to look at the reflection in their mirror and not like what they see. Nobody wants to be surprised by what they see. There's a story uh, about a young girl uh, in Colombia. This is years and years and years ago. She was, I think she was four or five. Her name was Marina Chapman. She was kidnapped and taken to the jungle. Uh, she wrote a book about this. There's some some people who, it's so crazy, they don't believe her. They just they think that she's made it up. Uh, but there's no proof that she didn't make it up. But the story that she tells is unbelievable. She, she gets kidnapped. She's taken out into the jungle. And uh, her, her clothes ripped from her body. You can only imagine why. And, and she was left there to die. And she didn't die instead she was kind of adopted by a group of monkeys which sounds crazy right like this sounds like something we would see in a movie like she she was specifically Tarzan Uh, she was she was she was kind of adopted by these monkeys and uh, she was climbing the tree she scoured for food scrounged for food and and in her book, she talks about the fact that uh, there was a time in which she was up in the tree and she looks down and she sees something shiny on the ground. And so she scurries down to the ground and she, uh, and she looks down at it and, and she sees two eyes looking at her. She's terrified. She kind of runs away. She, she gets up the nerve and she comes back to it. And she looks at it again and she picks it up this time and realized that she was seeing herself, her reflection. It was a mirror. It was in that moment that she realized that she was different than everyone else. Certainly, you could look down at your own body and discover this, but but there was something of a difference when she saw it in a mirror. She ends up getting, I didn't actually tell the rest of the story in first service. They're probably wondering, what in the world happened? Some hunters find her, rescue her. She lives in England. Uh, actually, today she's probably in her 70s now, 80s. And um, actually, I don't even know if she's still alive, so I don't know. Um, but I do know that one of her favorite things to do with her grandchildren is climb trees. Um, that sounds harsh, right? But that's what she said. I didn't. I didn't say that. That's what. Today's message is really just looking ourselves in the mirror. And doing a little soul searching of where we are. Are we super comfortable? Have we gotten really comfortable in our and just? kind of going through the motions and conforming to what we're supposed to conform to? Are we allowing God to change us? Are we allowing him to measure up another hundred cubits and we go deeper and deeper and deeper into our relationship with him and allow him to just pour his spirit into us and exude the fruit of the spirit in our life? Let's pray.